0: We are quickly getting towards the end of 2 Kings. We've been going through First and 2 Kings now for, oh, probably in all, what, 32 weeks? So, anyway, we've got a few messages to go. So, find uh, tonight uh, chapters 19 and 20. And we're looking at the subject matter tonight, the battle is the Lord's. Amen? The battle is the Lord's. There will be a final exam at the end. On both books, first and second Kings combined. Is open, book? open book exam, okay. <laughs> The battle is the Lord's. Let's uh let's read chapter 19 for now, and then we will turn later and read chapter 20, 2 Kings 19. Got it? Okay. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. You say, is that the Isaiah that's Old Testament book? Yes. Okay. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words of The Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that... Terhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him, so he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely." And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozon, Haran, uh, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Esar? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Ar- Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvaim, Ahina, and Eva? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord and you have said, With many chariots I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its junipers. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests, I've dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I've dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now, I have brought to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this gate or enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nishra, his sons, Adremalek, And Sherezar killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat, and uh, Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Now folks, let's just do a little review of last week. Remember, I I said last week it's almost unfortunate that there's a chapter division between chapters 18 and 19 because as we begin reading chapter 19, it's easy to see the narrative just continues here. And what we saw last week was that Judah finally has a good king. He was obedient to the Lord. And who was he compared to? He was compared to David, exactly. Now, he not only obeyed the Lord, but what else did he do? Tore down the high places, exactly. Some of the other good kings had not torn down the high places. The high places would have been where false gods like Baal were worshipped. And many of the good kings were good kings, but they would not pour down those places. Well, Hezekiah finally did. Uh, He was courageous. He rebelled against Assyria. Instead of paying tribute to the king of Assyria and staying under their hands, uh, he broke off. And that was a very courageous thing to do. Uh, Yes, as we saw last week, he stumbled, he became afraid, uh, when the Assyrian king came back after he wasn't paying him off anymore and the Assyrian king came to attack him, he agreed to pay the Assyrian king for a while. Uh, now we see Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, is, is coming back. He's mocking him. He's mocking God. And he's saying, there is no God that can save Hezekiah. There is no God that can save the people of Judah. Uh, That's what Sennacherib is saying. And and that's where we pick up tonight. Sennacherib boasted in Assyrian literature that uh, he had the king of Judah and all of Jerusalem shut up like a bird in a cage. He was bragging. He had come against Judah and Jerusalem and had the people trapped inside the city walls. And again, he, he bragged in the Syrian literature, according to his testimony, he had all Jerusalem shut up like a bird in a cage. So he's feeling pretty good about himself. Now, if we could put all the historical accounts in 2 Kings, uh, 2 Chronicles, and the book of Isaiah together, uh, as well as the history of the time, we would see that while Sennacherib has Hezekiah and Judah trapped and shut up inside of the walls of Jerusalem, Hezekiah and his forces have cut off all of the water from the surrounding creeks and water sources so that the Assyrian army won't have any water. And what they have done is they have built a water conduit under the walls of Jerusalem so that they'll have water in Jerusalem and they've covered the conduit up so the Assyrians won't be able to find it and stop the water. And still today, if you go to Israel and you're taking a guided tour, they will they will show you the water conduit, the waterway, that Hezekiah built coming into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, So Sennacherib thinks he's got them completely cut off. They can't have access to water. They can't have access to food. He's going to thirst them to death. He's going to starve them out. That's what Sennacherib is is thinking. Now, what we're going to see tonight, though, is that the battle is the Lord's. It's the Lord who gives victory to his people. And you know what? God can even give victory when all human beings have been exhausted. First thing I want you to write down tonight, a humble king and a prophet's assurance. A humble king and a prophet's assurance. From the first seven verses of chapter 19. A humble king and a prophet's assurance. Now, when, uh, when Hezekiah hears all of this, here's what, uh, if you were to go back to chapter 18, and Sennacherib has sent messengers to give Hezekiah a message, and the messengers are saying it out loud so everybody in Jerusalem can hear. Uh, when Hezekiah hears what the message from Sennacherib is, he tears his clothes, a sign of grief and remorse. And he goes into the house of the Lord. Now when trouble strikes, what we do next says a lot about our faith, doesn't it? How do we respond? Uh, You may say Hezekiah's response, tearing his clothes and going into the house of the Lord, was just foxhole religion. You know what foxhole religion is, right? We've talked about that before. Somebody cries out to God when they're in trouble, God delivers them, and then they forget all about God until the next time they get in trouble. Some might try to say Hezekiah is expressing that, Uh, but not so. When you look at the overall testimony of Hezekiah's life, you do see that he was a man of faith. And so by tearing his clothes, going into the house of the Lord, he's really only acting consistently to who he has been. He's been a man of God. And so what's he doing? He's going to God. Folks, it's important that we go to God in our trials, in our need, in our hardships. And also he did something else. He sent servants to Isaiah, who was a prophet. Now that says a lot about Hezekiah too. By sending servants to get a message from Isaiah, what would that be saying about Hezekiah? He wanted word from the Lord. He wanted word from God. Exactly. He's seeking the Lord. He wants to know what God says about all of this. And so, folks, this this is refreshing to see this in a king. Uh, He tried to buy off the Assyrians. It didn't work. And so now he wants to hear from God what he is supposed to do next. This is a wise approach. Seek godly counsel. Turn to the Lord and seek godly counsel. That's a good word to us today, right? When we face hardships or trials and we're in dilemmas and we don't know where to turn next seek the Lord and seek godly advice now the servants are instructed to inform Isaiah of Sennacherib mocking God and to ask Isaiah to pray and Isaiah responds with a message of comfort he reassures Hezekiah that Sennacherib will not capture Jerusalem in fact Hezekiah is assured that something's going to happen and Sennacherib is going to return to Assyria where he himself will die. And we saw what that was at the end of chapter 19. Uh, The battle is not going to be between Sennacherib and Hezekiah. The battle is going to be between Sennacherib and God. We would do well to remember that. When we're walking with God and we're walking in obedience to Him, the battle is the Lord's. We can put our lives into His hands and trust Him. I like what Paul says at the end of Romans, Romans chapter 8, when he says uh, there in verses 31 and following, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, He was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God, and He is interceding for us. Second thing I want you to write down tonight is an egomaniac uh, dictator, a praying king, and a dead army. An egomaniac dictator, a praying king, and a dead army. Now, if we were going to take time to go back to the end of chapter 18, apparently the messengers from Sennachera, uh, the Rabshakeh in particular that we saw last week being the spokesman, uh, he was waiting on a response from Hezekiah. Hezekiah didn't give him an answer and he told everybody else, likewise, keep quiet. And that's when Hezekiah went to Isaiah. Now, the the spokesman from Sennacherib, they've returned to Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. In the meantime, Sennacherib has gone out to battle against an Egyptian force, the king of Cush. And so it's like... What's going on here is the Assyrians are being terrorists in the whole region. And a portion of Egypt has also come in to try to stop Sennacherib. So it's like the Assyrians are coming in and not only trying to attack Judah, but I mean they want to capture the whole entire region. Sennacherib again sends a message to Hezekiah telling him to give up trusting in his God. He says none of the other gods of any of the other nations have been able to stop him and neither will Judah's God be able to deliver Hezekiah. What he's not reckoning with here is the fact that all the other gods of the other nations are just dead idols. But now he's messing with the true and living God. So as you can see, Sennacherib is a conceited dictator. And he really believes that he's the one calling all the shots. I mean, it's kind of like he's drunk on his own power and his own ego. Now, when Hezekiah receives this message from Sennacherib, this time he himself goes into the temple to pray. There are verses 14 to 19. And so he's not just telling God's prophet Isaiah, he himself is seeking God. Notice what he does. He takes Sennacherib's letter, he spreads the letter out before God, and he acknowledges that God is sovereign, that God is the God of all the earth, and he's praising God for who God is and for God's power. And and then he wants God to be aware of how the Assyrians are mocking God. He says, Open your ears and eyes to what they're saying about you and how they're mocking you. And next he acknowledges what a force for destruction the Assyrian king has been to the other nations that trusted in other gods that were no gods, just idols. And finally, he petitions God as the true God to save him, to vindicate his name, that his name alone would end up being praised And that as a result of this, that all the nations would know that Judah's God is indeed the true and the living God. It's one of the finest prayers in the Old Testament. It reminds us to go before God with praise and acknowledgement and to make petitions that will further God's glory, not just further our own selfish agendas. Now, we're not told how much time exactly elapsed between verse 19 and verses 20 to 31, but evidently it was not too long. God gives Hezekiah an answer to his prayer through Isaiah, and again, he assures Hezekiah that God has heard his prayer. He comments that God says that Jerusalem and that Judah is his virgin daughter. In other words, what God is saying is is no enemy has ever been able to come in and defile her, and God is not about to let that start now. When Sennacherib has made fun of God's people, he's also made fun of God. And God's not going to allow this to happen. God is not going to be mocked. Now folks, what a great encouragement to us to pray. God hears our prayers. And God is not oblivious to the trials and the pains and the dangers that we go through. God knows all about that. Now, in this response, what Sennacherib has failed to understand is that any success he has had thus far is only because God had raised Sennacherib and the Assyrians up to judge the land. Here's Sennacherib thinking he's been able to attack all these other nations and do what he's done because of how great he is and how great the Assyrians are. But God's letting Sennacherib know that it's only because God has raised him up. So here Sennacherib is thinking he's this wonderful king and wonderful military leader and the whole ancient world is afraid of him when in reality the God of Israel has merely raised him up to be an instrument in his hands. We see here that sometimes in the Old Testament God would raise up an ungodly king and an ungodly people to judge others. And then God would turn and deal with them because of their wickedness. It it just goes to show when it comes to leaders God God is the one who's in control. God's in control of world affairs. Raises up puts another one down for his own purposes. Sometimes we don't understand those purposes at first and and we may not until years and years, decades go by. We may never understand the side of heaven. Now, because Sennacherib fails to understand that his power so far has only been because of God, and Sennacherib's going to take all the credit for himself, God says, I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth. Now, what's this? This is some irony going on here. This is a case where you reap what you sow. Because you see, this is how the Assyrians would do people. In some of the ancient Assyrian carvings, uh, you can see rings in people's noses and chains hooking them together in long lines as prisoners and the Assyrian armies leading them around like livestock. And so what God is saying to Sennacherib here, what you and the Assyrians have done to others, I'm now going to turn and do that to you. You see, folks, it's dangerous to claim success for for ourselves. (laughs) Whatever we accomplish, it's only because God has made it possible. So God's to get all the glory. And here's a pagan king taking all the glory for himself. Now, as a sign that Assyria won't defeat the people of Judah, uh, Hezekiah is told that they're going to eat the next two years off of what has already been planted. In other words, Assyria will not come in and destroy the land and lay it waste. They're not going to be able to do this. You're going to eat off the land what's already been planted for two years. And then, oh, by the way, also, Hezekiah, the third year, you're going to be able to go back planting and harvesting just as you've always done. So again, this is just a sign to Hezekiah, quit worrying. God's going to take care of the Assyrians. You don't have to wonder that He's going to come in and destroy you and destroy the land and destroy all your food. It's not going to happen. And Hezekiah is basically being told when he sees all these things happen, just as God has said they'll happen, then he will know that God is the one who has brought it to pass. That's an interesting way to look at answer prayer, isn't it? If we're praying for a job, for example, uh, we don't always see what God's doing behind the scenes to bring it to pass, Right? You may not see how your resume ended up in the right person's hands and the right phone calls made. and You don't see all that. But the next thing you know is you're getting a call, you're getting an interview, and you get the job, right? But you don't see all the details of how God did it. But God's the one who did it. And that's a lesson to us about prayer, Right? We don't always see all the details involved of how God is answering our prayers. We might just see the result of it as we look back on it. I've heard testimonies before people's health issues. They were, they were praying for, uh, for somebody. Uh, A a year later, they they say, yeah, you know, you were praying for me, and I sat at home one night, and a nurse called, and they got me in to see such and such doctor, and it turned out that doctor was the one who was the leading person in that field, and he said, no, you don't have this. You have that instead, and now I'm cured. We, we don't understand sometimes all the movement as we're praying about something or praying for somebody, what all God's doing behind the scenes. We just kind of see when it's finally done. Right? That's what's going on here. It's like God tells Hezekiah, just trust me. I'm going to take care of all this. And the next thing you're going to know, Hezekiah, you and your people will be eating the fruit of the land and the land's not going to be wiped out and the threat of Semakrub and the Assyrians will be gone and you really won't understand how it all happened. You'll just know that it happened. And God says at the end of verse 31, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Amen? Amen? It won't be by Hezekiah's strength or wisdom or might. It won't be because the people of Judah ended up being a superior fighting force over the Assyrians because they were. It'll be because God did this. God the Lord of hosts. Amen. Yes. Yes. That's saying a lot. That is. <laughs> Amen. Now, the next thing we read about is what? Sennacherib gets up one morning. What's happened? Slaughter. A slaughter. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, uh, one nation leading its troops out in battle against another nation and the battle commander's getting up in 185 Thousand of their troops are dead. Could you imagine anything like that? And it was probably every other one. Yeah. And what it is, an angel of the Lord's come in and done this overnight. So let me think about this. Sennacherib's been boasting what he's going to do to the people of Judah in Jerusalem, and Hezekiah, I'm going to get you. Your God's not going to be able to help you. The gods of the other nations had not helped them. I've been able to destroy them and destroy their gods. Your God's not going to be able to help you. And overnight, God enters the camp, destroys the Assyrians. So what's Sennacherib do? Maybe the only wise thing he's done at this point. He tucks his tail and runs back to Assyria. Right? He certainly didn't learn, though, because he still works the thing other gods. Exactly. But you know, there's going to be irony in that. Sennacherib, now follow, follow the narrative here. Sennacherib had boasted to Hezekiah that Hezekiah's God, the God of Israel and Judah, would be powerless to save them. Well, God did save them. Here's Sennacherib, though, back home in his own land, in his own pagan temple, worshiping the idols that he has credited with his own success. His very own family comes in and kills him. His gods have not been able to protect him. Irony. He had boasted that his gods would give him success over Judah but his gods could not even give him success over the attack of his very own sons don't miss the irony in what's going on here it just shows you false gods can't deliver right Now, the third thing I want you to see from chapter 20, we're going to do a little flashback first, a flashback and a snapshot forward. That's the third thing here, a flashback and a snapshot forward. You're going to be messed up a little bit here with some chronology maybe. In chapter 20, in those days, verse 1 says, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and And with wholehearted devotion, and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me? In? And I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now. Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall a shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? It's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, have it go back ten steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps. It had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. At that time, Marduk, Baladan, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace... And all your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. First of all, in verses 1-11, through 11, we have a flashback. It's going to carry us to the period of time before the preceding chapters, okay? do you you might get mixed up on chronology. We would come to chapter 20, we would expect it to pick up the narrative where it left off in chapter 19. But as you reconcile Hezekiah's rule from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and again the book of Isaiah, it becomes clear, especially from the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, verse 6, that chapter 20 that we're looking at now happens before the events of 2 Kings 18 and 19. And there's a purpose in this and it seems like it's probably twofold. First of all, we're told of a personal crisis in Hezekiah's life that prepared him for the battles that he would soon face. You know, sometimes... God brings us through personal trials, getting us ready for something else that we're going to face, a challenge. Another reason given is that what happens to Hezekiah becomes a parable, if you will. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It happened, but it becomes like a parable. He has a terminal illness that he is saved from, and only God could have saved him his life becomes a testimony of what will happen to Judah. Judah has a terminal problem. Assyria is at the door. And there's nobody to deliver Judah. But just like God saved Hezekiah, God is going to save Judah. And then from verses twelve to nineteen, we have a snapshot forward. He receives an envoy from Babylon. This too happened. Still, this is happening before the Assyrian invasion. But the let, but it, it's it's a snapshot far from his illness and being healed. But still, before the Assyrian invasion. But the lesson that comes out of it will be for the somewhat distant future about a hundred years away from happening. The king of Babylon hears of Hezekiah's illness. But it's believed that there is more to this than just a kind visit. Remember we saw last week that Hezekiah did what his father Ahaz had not done. He rebelled against Assyria. Well, at this point... Who's Babylon looking for? Babylon is looking for allies also against Assyria. And so the purpose of this visit of the king of Babylon is probably to win favor between Hezekiah and Babylon, hoping that the two will be able to join forces together against Assyria. And so Hezekiah in pride... And in a show of wealth, does a very dumb thing. He shows off all of the treasures of Judah. And Isaiah the prophet confronts Hezekiah about this. Points out that Hezekiah is not going to have to worry about the Assyrians. And what's about to happen with the Assyrians? God's going to take care of them. Again, the hundred eighty-five thousand overnight. Hezekiah's not going to have to worry about the Assyrians. But Hezekiah is being told that years down the road, it's Babylon, who now he's showing off the treasures of Judah to, it's Babylon that's going to come in and carry the people of Judah and the treasures of Judah off captive. So all Hezekiah has done is show the enemy that he's thinking wants to be his ally now for the moment against the Assyrians. He's shown the, the people that it's going to be his future enemy all of their assets. And the Babylonians are going to come back for it. Not only will Nebuchadnezzar come in and loot the land, but also Nebuchadnezzar's going to take away the very best of the young people. And when that happens, you remember who got caught up in that, right? Who? Daniel. Daniel, Daniel and his friends, exactly. So in chapter 20, we're, we're, we're being taken back in time. before the events of chapters 18 and 19. And then we're also being shown what's going to happen to the people of Judah even way after God has dealt with the Assyrians. The Babylonians that they think are going to be their allies against the Assyrians after God deals with the Assyrians it's the Babylonians who are going to come in and end up being their real enemy. Makes sense. Are you confused? Please say no, you get it. I understand. Well, some some quick lessons here. We need to be prepared for battle and we need to trust God. Hezekiah prepared his people for battle and he encouraged them in the Lord. Now folks, as 2 Chronicles 32 indicates, Hezekiah, as I mentioned a moment ago, had a long tunnel dug through the rock from the Gihon Spring to the pool of Siloam to protect the water supply. He also rebuilt the existing city walls. He added exterior walls. He reorganized his military. He rearmed the people. But in the midst of these preparations, his message to the people was, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, For there is a greater power with us than with Yes, we're doing what we need to do to prepare ourselves to be safe, but our trust is in the Lord. So what's Hezekiah doing? He's having the people do what they can, but he's turning to the Lord in prayer, and trusting God. Prayer and action are not necessarily in conflict with one another, right? When we're praying for God to look after us and protect us, in the meantime, we'll be doing what we ought to be doing for our families or communities or whatever while we're praying to God. Our trust is in God, but we're doing what we believe He would have us to do, right? So uh, we need to be prepared for battle, but we need to trust God. Second lesson. Prayer is never a waste of time. Hezekiah got the assurance of victory in and through prayer. It was in prayer. It was because of prayer that he got these encouraging messages from Isaiah the prophet of how God was going to look after him. God answered his prayers. Prayer is never a waste of time. Don't ever think Oh, you know, i got all this facing me. Uh, Maybe you're in the midst of trials or troubles or whatever, and you think you need to be doing something. I don't have time to pray. You don't have time not to pray. You don't have time not to pray. It's never a waste of time to pray. And then a third lesson, the enemy will try to intimidate us and mock our faith in God. Folks, never waver. Be strong in your faith. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. The enemy, at some point in your life, somebody's going to try to mock your faith. Probably the, 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 the devil's going to get somebody trying to discourage you in your faith and make fun of you and mock you. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. And that's what Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, right? Stand firm in the Lord and put on the full armor of God. Okay, so we're clicking right along, taking we did two chapters tonight. Any comments? Am I kind it's not, the kind of time, not the Yeah, there, there is that. That Hezekiah, you know, by getting 15 years and all, well good. At least I don't have to worry about all this in my lifetime. That's what I will say. Yeah. Pastor, I have two really quick thoughts. Okay. You know, when it talks about idols, uh-huh. in the Bible, it says they need to hear Don't speak. Yep. Hezekiah's prayer says, Lord, hear. Bow down your ears and hear me. Open your eyes and see me. We have a God that hears and sees. He feels when we part, he parts. I mean, he's a living God. That's a great insight. As opposed to the dead idols of the Assyrians. That can't hear, can't see, can't feel. God, you can do all of that. Yep. I mean, one thing yep. you'll look at it for next week. Mm-hmm. Manasseh was 12 years old. Would you explain that to me. Okay. That happened during the last 15 years. Yeah. I guess, because God knows. Yeah. Anyway, know you okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll jump into that next week. Okay. Yeah, that last point you gave us tonight, uh-huh. the enemy will intimidate and mock our faith. I think our country's in the beginning of, of that because they're calling us white nationalists and we're the greatest enemy to democracy. Oh, yeah. We're seeing Christianity mocked in America in ways that I would have never dreamed of. Five or ten years ago, if you would have told me, Christians would be bashed like we're being bashed today. I would have said, not yet, but here he it is. Yeah. Sure. Yep. And, they the and they're glorifying, there there's a first last year governor or mayor. Sure, yep. And that's the thing, they're lesbians. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're glorifying that which scripture condemns. Yep. And all that stuff goes hand in hand. You know, a lot of pride itself, when you look at tonight, you know, Seneca and he even Hezekiah, pride is pretty dangerous. Okay. I mean, you know, Seneca thought of it all about him the entire time, even to the point when his entire army's gone. He's still never backed away and eventually got him. And he has a at the end again. He's pretty. Probably look at all that we have here. that all we've accomplished. Yep. In, in time, that's going to come back and get you as well. In time, it's your day. Pride to be dangerous. Yep. What's the middle letter in pride? What's the middle letter in sin? Pride.